morning, everybody. How are y'all? Y'all look amazing this morning. Trey has not been feeling well. No, he doesn't have COVID, but he is sick and he was not going to be able to get up and speak this morning. And so I am going to continue um, with the message series that we've been on with Joseph. I'm actually very excited about um, what we're going to be speaking about this morning because it goes along the lines of forgiveness, reconciliation, um, which is one of my favorite topics, something that God has really taught me a lot about. And so we're going to continue with the story of Joseph. If y'all remember last week, if you were here, um, Joseph, um, let's see, last week, God had a purpose for Joseph far greater than simply getting him out of prison. Do y'all remember that? His, God's plan for your life does not always look like an open door. Sometimes it looks like a closed one, right? We hate those closed doors, don't we? But then sometimes we look back and we go, oh, that's what God was doing, right? I love that. Um, one of the points that Pastor Trey made was that don't walk through every open door and don't beat down every closed one. Another point he made was don't hunt for the map, find the guide. Who's our guide? Holy Spirit, right? Holy Spirit. The map gives the layout, but the guide gives insight. And so we're going to continue with that message today. If y'all will turn with me to Genesis 42, we're going to read that whole chapter of Genesis 42. And we're going to read quite a bit of scripture today. And so y'all just follow along with me keep up, try to stay focused, right? Um, But before we get into that, let's go ahead and pray. Let's go ahead and just open up and invite Holy Spirit here. Father, we just thank you for the opportunity that we have today to be in your presence, God. Father, I just ask you, Holy Spirit, come just be with us. I just ask that every word that comes out of my mouth would be heaven sent from you. I just ask God that you would just give me your confidence and boldness today to speak your word, Father, what you would have to be said today, God. I thank you, Lord, that you will um, just let every word out of my mouth be straight from heaven. I ask that hearts would be open today, God. Father, if there is someone here, which I just felt so strongly in my spirit all morning, that there is someone here really struggling um, with forgiving, and I just pray, Father, that you would just just embrace them with your love in such a special way this morning. God, that they would just sense your sweet Holy Spirit surrounding them. God, that you would begin to just soften and pour in the healing oil like only you can do, God. I just thank you, Father, that you bring healing to every hurt, every crevice of our hearts, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, Genesis 42, y'all ready? I'm going to put my my reading glasses on. They're not mine. They're Hosanna's. I forgot mine. (laughs) Thank goodness for friends, right? All right. Number, number one, verse chapter 42. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? That just made me laugh, right? Have you ever just kind of talked that way to your kids? Why are you doing that? Like do something, you know, right? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. 
Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. Because if we remember, harm came to Joseph, right? So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my Lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and one is no more. Joseph said to them, it is as I told you, you are spies and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words will be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving household. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. Then they said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill the bags with grain to put each man's silver back in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey, and he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank, and they turned to each other trembling and said, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened. They said, the man who is Lord over the land spoke harshly and treated us as though we were spying the land. But we said to him, we are honest men. We are not spies. We were 12 brothers, sons of one father. One is no more, and the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who is Lord over the land said to us, this is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take food for your starving households and go. But bring your youngest brother to me so that I will know you are not spies, but honest men. I will give your brother back to you, and you can trade in all the land. And as they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was the pouch of silver. When they saw 
and their father saw the money, they were frightened. And their father said to them, you have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Then Reuben said to his father, you may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Entrust him to my care and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, my son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. Chapter 42. So here, um, Joseph is enjoying his worldwide power, his wealth, right? His acclaim, he has prestige, wealth beyond his wildest dreams. But God interrupts his life with these hungry nomads that show up at his door. And so here we continue on with Joseph. And chapter 42 all the way through 50 is going to be all about Joseph's reconciliation with his family. And so we don't have time (laughs) to read chapter 42 through 50, right? So what we're going to do is we're just going to kind of skip around to a few few verses in um, in this um, text. And so we're going to look at specific selections. But I encourage you to read through the whole entire thing because there's so much to gain and glean from, from this section of Scripture. And so if looking at Genesis 42, we might think, what, what, what was Joseph thinking at this time? You know, the, his brothers pretty much were trying to kill him right? And they ended up selling him into slavery. And they show up at his doorstep. Can you imagine the emotion and the, I mean, I am one of five siblings. I'm just amazed at Joseph's just resolve through this whole thing. I mean, how he didn't just blurt out, I'm your brother. Ha ha. You know, you just bow down to me. Like I, I can see myself going, I told you, I told you this was going to happen. You sold me to, for slavery and guess, look what you're doing. You're bowing down to me. Look who, look what I am. Look who I am. But you don't see Joseph doing any of that, right? However, some people might think that Joseph was still in the wrong because it looked like he was deceiving his brothers. It looked like he's disguising himself. He's using an interpreter. He's asking questions. He's being kind of deceitful and his interactions with them. Um, But if you look at, if you look through the scripture, it talks about Joseph and it talks about him being shrewd in his dealings with them. That means he had good judgment, prudence. He was wise, right? He was clever. He disguised his identity. He spoke harshly with accusations that he knew were unfounded. And some might say he was wrong. However, If you look closely, his motive was more to discern their present character. It was more to to see, are are they able to be trusted? Like, I have been so hurt by them in the past. It's been 20-something years, you know, since they disposed of me. And, you know, you all probably know those people and some of us have probably been that person that may have been hurt by someone or treated um, in a bad way in some kind of form only to be treated that way over and over and over and over again. You know, at some point you have to go, why is it that you keep falling into that same trap? 
Why is it that you're inviting that kind of behavior? And so I think if we look at Joseph closely, we see he's being very wise here. He's guarding his heart. He's protecting himself. He's asking questions, wondering, can these brothers be trusted? Or is this kind of thing going to happen to me again in my dealings with them? So he tested his brother's integrity, their trustworthiness. He even tested them by putting the silver back in their bags, right? Um, The brothers of old might have just taken it, not said anything. But if we go on to Genesis 43 and 44, which we're not going to, I'm just going to tell you what happens. They end up coming back a second time. They do bring Benjamin, and they tell him, The silver that we brought the first time to buy food was put back in our bags. Wow, we're seeing a change in the brothers here. All of a sudden, they are owning things. They are saying, hey, I'm honest. We are good men. This is what happened. We don't know how the silver ended up back in our bags. They actually bring Benjamin not to dispose of him like they did Joseph. They actually were afraid to bring him but wanted to protect him. Actually said, I'll give my life if, if something happens. I'll take his place. So over and over again, they're protecting Benjamin um, in a way that's different. And Joseph is observing all of this. And he further tests them in the next couple chapters that, that we're not going to read. But you're going to read on your own. They return the silver Um, that he secretly put back in their baggage and they were honest and um, the whole the whole point that I want to make in this in this first part of Genesis 42 43 through 44 is that we have to ask God for wisdom we have to ask the Holy Spirit to guide us when it comes to dealing with these kinds of um, betrayals like how am I supposed to respond Am I supposed to just open my heart back up again? Is it time to open my heart back up again? Is it the right timing, Lord? Or is this something that's going to come further down the road? Am I supposed to today just say, oh, it's okay what you did and just get over it? Yes, we're supposed to forgive, right? But that doesn't mean that we just open that door wide open to be walked on again and again and again. We have to ask Holy Spirit, what am I supposed to do now? How am I supposed to handle this situation? Give me the wisdom to know what my next steps are. And I feel like this has been Joseph all along. All along, Joseph has said, okay, God, I got betrayed by Pharaoh's wife. Now what? Okay, God, my, my, my brother sold me into slavery. You gave me a dream that said they were going to bow down to me. This does not look like what you promised. Now what, God? I'm in prison? Now I'm in prison? Now what, God? Over and over again, Joseph said, now what? Now what do you have for me? You don't see him wallowing in his pity, crying and and saying, God, you're not there for me. Where are you? No, he continues. It just blows my mind how he continues to trust the Lord in every single season of his life. I want to be like Joseph. And I want to continue with reading 
Genesis 45, 1 through 15. Genesis 45, 1 through 15. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. There, there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. So his brothers had come back, right? And he just started to just really not be able to control himself anymore. He wept so loudly in verse 2 that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here. It was not you, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you and your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded to me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. Wow. What if you're suffering, and you think back to your life, maybe you're suffering right now. What if your suffering was not only allowed by God, but designed by him? Joseph could have withheld right, his dream interpretations for the butler and the baker. Remember that? I don't know about you, but if I had been given dreams about my brothers bowing down to me and I had shared those dreams and really believed they were God sent, and then I had an opportunity later in prison to interpret someone else's dreams, I don't know that I would have. I would have doubted my ability to interpret dreams. I, I just really think that I might have said, yeah, no, I know, I think I know the interpretation, but obviously not really getting it right because look what God, like God hasn't, this hasn't come to pass for me. You know, I think about the many times that I pray for people to get healed. And it's so easy when you really, really are believing God's going to heal this one certain person or this one certain situation and it doesn't happen to just lose that enthusiasm for praying again. that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to continue to trust, 
continue to press on. When God doesn't provide for you, do you stop trusting him? No, that's when you trust him all the more. That's when you continue to do the thing that you know you should do all the more. And we see Joseph doing this. Joseph interprets their dreams even when his hadn't come to pass. It's just mind-blowing, right? Joseph continued to trust God. God was with him even in prison. And we, we see Joseph's years of suffering and service actually change him for the better. God builds character through suffering. But here's the thing. We have to allow him to. Because we can fight it. We can fight it, and we can allow bitterness, unforgiveness, disappointment, all of those things to come in and prevent what God wants to do in building our character. So we have to allow him to continue to build us. And Joseph does that. Not only did God build Joseph's character, he was building the brother's. You notice a change in the brothers protecting Benjamin, whether than trying to get rid of him being jealous. Um, in chapter 43 and 44, uh, when Joseph brings them in for this big feast, they still don't know who he is. He has his servants give Benjamin five times more food. And just, they were just more generous to Benjamin, overly generous, five times more generous on purpose to see how they were going to react. I don't know about you, but if I go somewhere with my siblings and one of them gets five times more, I'm going to be like, what? what is that? What is happening over there? What? Why are they so special? You know, I mean, it's just, these are, these are siblings. It's very easy to, to get caught up in all of that jealousy and... Um, all of the fighting and it, especially with family, especially with family, because they know you inside and out, right? They've seen all parts of you. And so here, here they give him five times more and they don't even blink an eye. They don't even bat an eye. Here we see God not only changing Joseph, he's changing the brothers. He was working on them. And that takes us to Genesis 50, 15 through 21. So if you'll turn with me to Genesis 50, 15 through 21. It says, When Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? 
You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. So we see God at work in the brothers. We see God at work in Joseph, right? But here the brothers go back to kind of their old ways of manipulating, right? Here they're trying to manipulate Joseph. His, their dad has died, and all of a sudden fear sets back in about what they've done. Oh, now that dad's gone, maybe now Joseph is going to get us back for what we did. Oh, we're scared. We're so scared. They let fear slip in, and they decide to write up this letter from their dead father asking, asking them to forgive the brothers. And it just breaks Joseph's heart here, right? Um, I don't know about you, but manipulation is one of those things that really, really gets under my skin. And so if, if someone's trying to manipulate me, I see it a mile away. And I, I don't really want to respond very kindly to that. I just, I just don't. And, and here, Joseph just takes the high road again. And he just shows mercy and he shows grace. And he just assures them with kindness and is loving towards them. And he chooses to forgive all over again in this passage. And so my next point is that we are to be aggressive forgivers. Be an aggressive forgiver. Forgive people long before they ask, even if they don't ask. You know, um, if we look back at the butler and the chief cook, right? The butler was supposed to tell Pharaoh about Joseph after Joseph helped him and interpreted his dream. How long did Joseph stay in prison after the butler got out? Two years, you guys. Two years Joseph got to sit there festering over the fact that he helped the butler and nothing He's still sitting in prison for two years. Then he gets called before Pharaoh because the butler suddenly remembers. And he comes face to face with him. Again, he has a choice. Is he going to be bitter towards the butler? What took you so long? Oh, my God, two years. You know, it's about time, right? No, he chooses to be gracious and merciful again. Joseph comes face to face with him and once again has a choice. He can be angry and bitter, or he can forgive. I think it's interesting that this was like a minor test that he had to pass before the one with his brothers. This was just a little baby one that, that he, he passed. You know, even after everything Joseph has done for his brothers, they try to manipulate him and he shows mercy. In verse 19, he says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? That's, that's the one sentence that I like to remember when I'm struggling to forgive someone. Am I in the place of God? Is it for me to decide who should be forgiven and what should be forgiven and what shouldn't be forgiven? Am I in the place of God? I think that's a very dangerous place to step into. And I've seen over and over and over again in my life how stepping out of that place 
allows room for God to bring reconciliation and healing, not only for those that have wronged me, but for myself, for myself. Hebrews 12, 14 through 15 says this, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holy, holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You know, I, um, I have had so many, as probably all of you have had, opportunities to forgive over the years. And I've, I've heard people just really struggle with one thing after another. I think family pain is some of the most difficult to deal with because you, your blood, you love that person, they love you. And I think that has been one of the most difficult things to, to deal with when it comes to reconciliation. But the Lord loves family. He loves family. And some of us are better at loving our neighbor than we are our own brother. And God is calling us to reconcile that. I am um, just going to tell you a couple, couple stories in my own life that have brought such great healing to me. And one of them is my sister Amy. Y'all, many of you know Amy. She um, is one of my younger sisters. And I'm telling you guys, from the day she was born, we were butting heads. Like, butting heads. And um, I don't know to this day, I don't know what it was, but we just could not be in the same room. Even as adults, you know, they say, oh, when you're adults, you grow out of it. No, we didn't. It got worse. It was horrible. Trey hated to be in the same room with us um, because it just... It was not good. And if you were to ask me, I'd say it was all her fault. And I'm pretty sure if you asked her, she would say it was all mine. Um, we just could not understand each other. There was just this disconnect there that was just ridiculous. And like, it didn't, I could say something nice and it would be taken as something really awful. Like, it just was crazy how we misunderstood one another. But you know, there was this one night, we were all at the house. And Amy was pregnant at the time. I think she was pregnant with Ethan. This is how long it was her last child, Ethan. This is how long that um, disconnect had gone on. That um, just, it was just horrible, guys. I can't even explain um, how awful it was. But we were in the room, and my mom had decided that God really wanted her to do a foot washing. And we were all like, and she said, I, I just want to spend a few moments. And it was all of us kids. And she said, I just feel like God wants me to wash y'all's feet. And we were like, no, we, that's, we don't need to. And he, she's like, I, I really feel like God wants me to do this. And so she had put on some really pretty worship music. And she had begun washing all of our feet and praying over us. And it was such a special, intimate, healing time. So beautiful, you guys. And God said to me in that moment, you need to wash Amy's feet. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> no, she needs to wash mine. And um, 
and I was like, do you know what she said to me? And um, I, I argued with him for a good while. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I was like, this is not of God. This is definitely not of him. And um, it, you talk about the struggle. It was real. It was so, so real. And finally, I was like, Ugh, I just couldn't even stand myself. It was that kind of prompting by the Holy Spirit where you just, you had to do something or you were going to explode. So I went to my mom and I whispered in her ear because she's, you know, in the middle of this really intimate time. And I was like, Mom, I feel like I'm supposed to wash Amy's feet. And I like could barely get the words out of my mouth. And she looked at me and she goes, no. And I was like, oh, thank God. Of course, I didn't show that. You know, I just felt that so strongly. And I went back to where I was sitting. And then I thought, I, I obeyed you know? And she said, no. And she turned around and looked at me and she said, yes. And I was like, oh God, it's back again. And so I went over and I knelt down at Amy's feet and began to wash her feet. And before I could even touch her, my whole body was trembling and I was just crying. Like, I don't know that I've ever cried so hard in my life. And I apologized to her for anything I'd ever said or any way I'd ever hurt her or um, anything. Like, I just, everything. I just laid it out there. And all I can tell you is something broke. It just completely broke. And there was this restoration that happened between her and I that was such a beautiful, supernatural God thing. It was so amazing. And I had never felt so much lighter and so much freer. And from that moment forward, Amy and I have been the best of friends. It's, it's miraculous. There's no way that that was not a God moment, that God did something. I, w I wish you could have witnessed what it was like before compared to what it is like now. It's still just shocking to me what God had done. So much so that Amy, when she lived here, she doesn't live in this town anymore, she was part of our church. Like, out of all my siblings, I would have thought, there's no way she's coming here. You know? And, and she lived with us for a year. Like, that's just, it's unbelievable what God does through reconciliation when you're obedient to him. It's unbelievable. Y'all want to hear one more story? Okay. So I have lots and lots of stories. You've probably heard the one about my father a million times. So I'm going to actually move to a church hurt story. And I want to do that because we've gotten really, really good about always talking about church hurt. I don't go to church because I've been hurt. I've been church hurt. You're not church hurt. You're people hurt. It's not the church hurting you. It's not the church that hurt me. It's people. People in your family hurt you. People in the church hurt you. People in your workplace hurt you. Anywhere people are, there is going to be pain because people are broken and people are hurting. So it's not the church. It's people in the church because they're broken and because you're broken and because we all are still being sanctified from day to day, right? And so growing up, I grew up in the church. I had so many, so many things that happened to me in the church where I could have just never wanted to walk my foot in the church again. 
And so when I hear that people are, oh, I don't go to church because I've been church hurt, I'm just like, no. God, you're not allowing God to do a healing in your life that he wants to do. And so um, I was at a church camp, Camp Ben McCullough in South Austin. And um, I was with some, some girls of my age from church and they weren't really living the godly lifestyle I was. I'm not saying that to toot my own horn. I just need you to understand the context of what was going on. And, but we were still all good friends. They were like my only friends. And we were going to walk down to the water hole. There's like a boy's water hole, a girl's water hole. And there was a young, an older girl there that was the cousin that was really not serving the Lord. And she was kind of like leading the pack and, and they were like, oh, we're going to go down here. And they were like, are you coming, Carrie? And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll come. And they were like, you're not going to narc on us, are you? And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, she's going she's gonna to be smoking and, you know, cigarettes or whatever. And I was like, hey, that's, that's between her and God. You know, if she wants to smoke a cigarette and that's what she does, that's because I knew she wasn't really serving the Lord. And I was like, you know, whatever. So we get down to the water hole and the girls are swimming and there's some inappropriate behavior taking place in the water and I start to feel really uncomfortable and uh so I tell one of the girls I pull her off to the side and I'm like hey let's head back to the camp and she's like no she's like I don't I don't and I was like well I don't really want to walk back by myself because there were snakes and stuff and you know I just wanted her to come with me and she was like no I'm, I'm not and I was like well I'm I need to head back it was just getting really inappropriate and um so they decide to grab me and take my swimsuit off. And they throw it down the creek. And I have to get up out of the water. I'm, I'm, t- I'm like somewhere between the age of 13 and 15, y'all. You know, that age where it's just not cool, right? And so I have to get up out of the water and go and get my swimsuit to put it back on. And I walk back to camp. Well, by the time I get back to camp, there's all kinds of rumors going around, all kinds of things being said. And um, it just got really blown out of proportion. And, of course, my mom ends up coming for the camp meeting that night. And as soon as I see her, I bust into tears, tell her what happened. And she's furious. And so I end up having a meeting with the pastor and these three girls that were involved. And they had already planned what they were going to say. And it was all going to be exactly the same thing. However, their story was much different than mine. And so when I get in there and I'm talking to them with this male pastor questioning us, I tell my side, and they all three have the same story. Mine's different. And I'm not wanting to throw them under the bus. So I'm not, I'm not, not laying out all the things that they did. I'm, you know, just telling the bare minimum because I just, I just, I just wasn't there to throw them under the bus. And so at the end of, I was, I was just floored, first of all. And at the end of that meeting, the pastor looks at me and says, are you sure it happened quite the way you think it did? And I was like, oh my gosh. And I felt so betrayed by even the pastor in that instant, right? Because here he was the one that I trusted and I'm telling the truth and they're all together in this lie. And I remember getting up out of there and just running running and running down the hall and wanting to run out of the church, not wanting to ever be in the church again. And, you know, I I know Dana from back then, 
Her mom actually stopped me in the hall and put her hand on my hand. I'll never forget it. I don't know if she remembers it, but she put her hand on my hand. I was trying to open the door and it was locked. I was just wanting to run out. And she said something to me. I can't remember what it was, but it was something about, it's going to be okay. It's, it, God's got you. Something like that. And she had no idea what was happening. I'll, I'll never forget that. And so anyway, I talked to my mom. I go, I go out into, I go out into the um, parking lot to leave. And the mother of one of the girls stops me and says, Carrie, I want you to tell me the whole truth of what happened. I want you to tell me every detail. Don't hold anything back. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I tell her everything. And she says, it's my fault. And I was like, what? And she's like, it's my fault. I let them watch something that was so inappropriate on TV that they should have never seen. And they were mimicking what they saw. And I'm so sorry. And I was just like, wow. And so anyway, I left there. And um, it didn't end there, though. Like the church hurt continued. The hurt from the people continued because there was a song made up about me. There was things that they said I said that I didn't say. There was all this gossip and rumors throughout the church. Like all these women were coming to my mom asking questions saying, this happened, this happened. You know, it was just so much gossip. It was just unreal. And my mom, you know, at that time said, Carrie, you're going to hold your head high because you've done absolutely nothing wrong. And you're going to keep coming to church and you're going to keep doing what's right because you've done nothing wrong. You only run and hide if you have something to hide. And she said, you're going to keep coming and, and keep your head high. And God's going to reveal what needs to be revealed. And so I did that. And I saw God's hand throughout that period. Um, I will tell you that things were reconciled with me and that pastor. Like he actually came to me at one point and I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was something to the extent of, I know your walk with the Lord. I know that you're a good person. I know that you're doing what's right. And, you know, he just kind of affirmed me, right? Um, sometime after and um, the truth always comes out, guys. It always comes out. But I wanted to share that in detail because that was just one one thing in the church that has happened to me over the years. And that was at a very young age. Like, I could have so easily walked away from the Lord, walked away from the church. But we have to remember, it's not church hurt. It's people that are broken and hurting in the church that hurt people. And so we have to continue to be the church. And we have to let the Lord bring healing to our hearts and bring healing um, to all those areas that are so, so painful. And, and, and more importantly, we have, to, we have to allow the Lord to use us to forgive right in the midst of our pain. Right in the very midst of our pain is the most important time, the most powerful time to forgive. You know, Jesus showed, showed me that a few years ago. Like I, um, I always want to... I always want to forgive once I'm kind of over it, right? Isn't that easier? You know, you're, you're really angry one day, but maybe by tomorrow I'll feel better and I'll be able to just, then I'll talk to that person. I'll get over it. But the Lord says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. How do you do that? 
how do you do that when you're so painfully hurt? I was asking the Lord that one day and he showed me the cross and he said, when did Jesus forgive? I was like, oh, wow. Like he's in extreme excruciating pain on the cross. And in that moment is when he chose to forgive us. And there's a second part of forgiveness. Like it's easy to say, I forgive you, but do you ask the Lord to withhold his judgment from that person? That's a whole nother level. Cause you know, that's what Jesus did on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. He didn't say, I forgive them. He said, God, forgive them. They know not what they do. When you choose to forgive someone, do you say, God, release them from all judgment? We're called to be like Jesus. We're called to be just like him. So when I have a moment that I need to forgive, my prayer is this. I choose to forgive whoever it is, and I release them from all judgment in Jesus' name. And so today, as we close, I just want to pray over us. The Holy Spirit will reveal to to us if there's someone in our life that we need to forgive and release judgment over. And just under your breath, you can pray this prayer with me. And as a act of faith, and then just an action to the Holy Spirit. Raise your hand if there's someone Holy Spirit is already showing you that you need to forgive. Wow. Wow. All right, let's do this because we're going to find freedom in here today. Amen. All right. If you will just repeat after me, Father, I choose to forgive. Put their name in the blank. And I want you to even picture what it is you're forgiving them for specifically. Is it a betrayal? Is it a violation of some sort? Is it some kind of disappointment? Is it something someone said? Whatever it might be, picture that exact thing in your mind and choose, say, I choose to forgive that person for this specific thing or these specific things. And then let's take it a step further and repeat after me. And I release them from all judgment in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. You know, um, forgiveness is not a feeling. So I just want to tell you, if you wake up tomorrow and you still feel that sting, that little pang of hurt, do it again. Say it again. Say it again next week. However long it takes to allow the Holy Spirit. Right now, you've broken the cord that's linked you to that person and that unforgiveness. You've broken it. You've broken the hold it has over you so that Holy Spirit can now come in between you and that person and do a work. Not just in that person, but in you. So amazing and so beautiful. But don't be afraid to keep praying that prayer until 
your emotions line up with it until you can actually feel that forgiveness. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I love you guys. I love you guys. And I'm so glad that I was able to be here with you today. And I know that God has so much more freedom for you. So go and forgive. Be aggressive forgivers. In Jesus' name. Amen. That was so good, Pastor Curry. Yes. You know, I've actually heard you say this a lot of times. I choose to forgive this person and I release them from all judgment. But when you were just saying it, <laughs> how Jesus was on the cross, I've never ever visualized it that way. Of He took my judgment. And um, that's just amazing. I think that God gives us revelation sometimes in those moments we need to just seize the opportunity and say, Lord, what are you speaking to me? So thank you so much. That was so good. Sorry, I'm crying, guys. Okay, can we give it up for Jesus this morning? We just want to invite you guys um, to go out, have a blessed, blessed week, and remind you that um, Connect Groups are coming up, so don't forget to sign up for that. We also have Awaken on the first Wednesday of every month, and if you are involved in Team Exchange Week 3, you don't want to miss it, you guys. It's been amazing. So we love you all. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you back next Sunday, 1030 a.m.